Would you leave your dream job and create a new company? Some won't do that. But Marcus Murphy did. And not only that, he brought his family to another country to start a new company. Big move? I'll let Marcus answer that question. Finally, it's out! IBH Media released its 2020 Asia Pod Awards winners and I'd like to tell you that Pintotop was voted Asia's premier business podcast. Winners were chosen through listeners' votes. That means there's no panel, nothing in between. It's really your votes that were counted. And with that, let me thank you for following this podcast, listening to it, and for voting. This honor is really yours because you were the ones who voted for the show. Thank you for allowing me in between your heads every single time. Thank you also for reaching out to me to tell me that you're learning from this podcast. I really appreciate it. It keeps me going every single time. Also, cheers to Joy Colliado who first introduced me to podcasting five years ago. As you know, we started the Joy and Anjo a few years back. So that's really my first hands-on podcasting experience. And I'd like to thank her for bringing me in on the journey. Value Pod Productions, headed by Cecilia Mercado and Eloisa Almonicido, you ladies rock. Thank you so much for pushing me to show up and be consistent. To IBH Media's Daniel Robbins and Kate Hancock, cheers to more success for IBH. Cheers to more awards to be given away in the next few years. Be rest assured that I'll continue to provide pinnable Facebook and marketing lessons for you, entrepreneurs and experts. It's time to maximize Facebook marketing for your business. Less the overwhelm. It's the Pin to Top Podcast with Anne Christine Peña Redondo. Facebook is one of the top social media channels in the world. Well, you know that by now for sure, right? If you want to reach the people who will support your products, services, and tell friends about your business, Facebook is one of your best choices. I have a Facebook marketing strategy that you may read at annchristine.com slash Facebook marketing after listening to this episode. This strategy works with consistency and patience. Commit to this strategy and you will meet your business goals through Facebook. But if you want to get help, I am a call away. Click the button at the end of anchorstein.com slash Facebook marketing after listening to this episode to start booking your call. If you're looking for the best social media marketing solution for your business, Promo Republic is the right tool for you. Boost your social media presence or personal brand with Promo Republic's outstanding designs for your social posts, meaningful insights, automated social media scheduling, and more. Stand out with custom social content today. Sign up at bit.ly slash best social media solution for Anne. With structure for plans, blank pages for creativity, and room for reflection, Passion Planner helps you identify your dreams and build toward them every day. 
More than a daily planner, Passion Planner increases productivity by organizing your life to focus on your goals. But if you are a Passion Planner user like me, choose between weekly or daily undated, annual, or academic options. Use the code ANNCHRISTINE10, that's A-N-N-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-1-0 on your checkout for a 10% off of your purchase. You don't know how happy I felt when Marcus Murphy, CEO of The 5% and a LinkedIn Advisory Board member said yes to a Pin the Top podcast interview. He's the first person from LinkedIn that I had for the show. So I think I started it off, right? We talked about leaving a dream job to start his own company. He's actually the digital marketer's head of partnerships. Yeah, rubbing shoulders with Ryan Dice and Roland Frazier and Perry Belcher. Oh my God, he's there, right there. We also talked about marketing sales and how is his children's beautiful playhouse. If you're on LinkedIn, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're a parent, that's a must listen. So, here we go. I'm as excited as you are. I still can't believe he said, he said yes. I, I, I tried fighting the starstruck mode. I think I survived it. Here's Marcus Murphy, everybody. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for sitting here for Pin to Talk. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Happy so to be excited. here. excited. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm fighting the starstruck uh, mode right now because... <laughs> It's the nah, same nah. thing that happened to me and Perry. Like, I shouldn't blank out. So. <laughs> so. No, don't. You don't have to black out. <laughs> okay. I, I'm honestly I'm honestly just happy. You know, it's funny. I, I don't take a lot of, I don't say yes to a lot of shows. And when I, you know, there's, there's something so genuine about the way that you approached, approached it. But also, you've been just such a great, like, you've cheered me on for over a year. And you've been so active on, on everything that I do. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's a no-brainer to be on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank. Weren't you surprised that Facebook marketing strategist is quote unquote stalking people on LinkedIn? <laughs> no, no, they should. More people should do that. <laughs> yeah, more that's people. good. That's so good. Yeah. So for, for those who don't know, I told Marcus about this before we recorded this. I, uh, I got to know Marcus Murphy because I took the free one month access of digital marketing so i took the social media marketing course and of course part of the platforms that you'll have to to go through is linkedin and so he's the man on the chair so i started stalking him on linkedin and i actually asked him a question i never actually imagined you're going to answer because i thought maybe this maybe he's going he's bc or something when you responded i was like oh my god he's a real person <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny. I feel like people should be. And if you're going to put things out in the world, like I put courses out and teach <laughs> and speak a lot. And if you're going to do that, there's responsibility to be able to, to respond to people, especially students. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, one of the best things in the world, a guy named Ryan Dice, who is my friend, also a good mm -hmm. mentor of mine from Digital Marketer. He told me one time we were, we were actually coming back. We were, we were in Miami, Florida. We were coming off stage. He was on the phone with Damon John, who's a, a guy that is on Shark Tank and he started FUBU, et cetera. But yeah. anyway, he was on the call with him and Damon was talking to him because they're friends. And Damon said, isn't it amazing? 25,000 people, you just walked off stage 
Like, isn't it crazy to have that many fans? And Ryan, who's definitely famous, it was funny what Ryan said to Damon that always sticks with me. He goes, oh, no, Damon, you're famous. I have, you have fans. Like, you have fans. Quantifiably have fans. I have students. And I think what Ryan was saying there is just the mentality behind putting things out in the world and how you view yourself. So I've always seen myself from that moment on that I'm a teacher. And so I think as a teacher, when you put things in the world that people are consuming, you better respond to your students. Like, that's a, that's a big part of it. That is so wonderful. I'm going to take note of that. And so with that, I'm I'm in a I'm in a student mode right now. So that's that's what always happens to me every time I do interviews. So I hope you're ready, Marcus. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. I'm going to ask you questions about business and a bit of of, of personal side. So but the first question I have is I know of people and companies who pivoted their businesses during pandemic, and it's been a year since we're recording this, but uh, I was actually surprised you left your job last year to start to start your own company. What made you decide to do that? Was was it like something that came out from you know the the heavens opened and it was you know, a bright idea? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just insane, absolutely ill timed and misinformed. No, I um, <laughs> are we all? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I left I left it, my dream job. Literally, I mm-hmm. I think I've said that so many times to people, yeah. but it's true. I was an executive at digitalmarketer.com. I, I'm, I'm still on the board, uh, the advisory board at LinkedIn. I've, I've done a lot of those amazing roles. I was I was at the table with everybody. I was traveling the world with, with a really famous, amazing person. I was learning a lot. And then one day, after about five years of that lifestyle, I was sitting at, uh, at, at an executive offsite. And one of the things that was happening at the executive offsite was that they were planning this big five-year vision. And when normally it would be like, oh, great. That's where I see myself. I'm at the core of this team. This is exactly how they want to use me. But for whatever reason, I did not get excited about it. And the reason why was because I knew that I didn't see myself in it. And that's when I called our our owners, our CEO at the time and Ryan and just said, man, I, I don't really see myself in this. And I think I need to explore what that means. And that could mean I need to go into a different role within our companies, or mm-hmm. that could mean that I need to go out and do my own thing. And it just mm-hmm. so happened that that tug regardless of whether there was a global pandemic or recession or anything was strong enough that I knew that I needed to drop everything that I was doing and, and pursue it. And um, so it was maybe a a heaven's opening kind of moment. Uh, And in regards to being something that tugged me so hard that I knew that if I didn't make that leap in that moment, that I might pass that opportunity. And, you know, it was scary and all those things, but yeah, I definitely made made that leap even you know and it probably could have been better time for sure uh but i'm still here still surviving it's been almost a year um so yeah pretty excited about that now it answered the the question that i have in mind because i saw your cover photo on linkedin it says make the leap Mm -hmm. now i I got it i got it did you imagine (laughs) that you'd be an owner of your own company because like what you said you left your dream job but before Mm -hmm. that you've been to yelp Infusionsoft, and then of yep. course, Digital Marketer. Those were yeah. amazing companies. Yeah, they're really great. You know, I think everybody that's an entrepreneur comes to the impasse of employee to entrepreneur, right? That that jump. And I mm-hmm. think that a lot of people right now, you know, they think of employment, and this is interesting. We think of employment as comfort, or we think of employment yeah. as as a as something consistent. And that's been what we've been kind of that's been instilled in us by people who actually love us, but it's this thing called fear, right? Fear yes. is this dominating thing that people want to pass down. It's generational. And the thing that people tell you is like go to school, get a good education, get a good job, and then uh-huh. basically like don't mess it up. 
Okay. Yes. And, and I, and I actually think that that is the worst way to live your life uh, to white knuckle and be f- afraid of what could happen. And what could happen is that you'll fail, right? Mm-hmm, like yes. people are, people are, are afraid of failure. I was afraid of failure. And that's the first thing I had to leap to get over when I, when I, left the job was thinking to myself, okay, you're most likely going to fail. You are most likely going to come up against some of the biggest obstacles you've ever faced in your life. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of fear, on the other side of fear, on the other side of that leap is something that could be extraordinary. And here's the deal. When I wanted to go start this business, my business wasn't about Marcus Murphy being rich. It wasn't about how many Lamborghinis I could have or you know, millionaire conversations on Clubhouse. It was to help people. And I knew that if I could help people like I needed help myself when I was making my transition into entrepreneurship, then we could see a lot more businesses succeed. We could see a lot more families succeed because they're connected to these these businesses. And so I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't, it was irresponsible of me with knowing that to not make that leap. Wow. That's, that's very insightful. Everything that you said there was true. What you, what you mentioned about um, fear being generational, it's also true. Uh, I think it's true everywhere. Uh, with yeah. that, Marcus, what entrepreneurial values were you able to take from the companies you've been uh, oh, with uh, that you are going to bring in the 5%? I actually love the hat. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll get you one. This is this is the first generation of these hats. Yeah, no one can see that on there, but we actually have these these really great hats now that have our logo, which is pretty pretty snappy. Generational values from the companies that I work for. You know, I I've been obsessed with the people who started those companies that I really love and admire and worked for uh, for mm. so many years. And some of the things I realized is that I think I was an entrepreneur before I ever left any of those positions. What I meant was there's a mentality with that. Like the, the things that you can learn as in an entrepreneurial space. So like, let's just take those three companies you mentioned, Yelp. Yelp was something that ha- people had to be educated on, on the value of it, right? Like, why would I go online and write a review about something? Why would I, why would I advertise and spend money on this platform? I was constantly educating in my role, con- whether it was huge brands that we were working with or whether it was small mom and pop brick and mortar shops, we were always educating. So for me, I knew that education was a major part of entrepreneurship. That's one, one thing that I learned, especially from Yelp is like, man, you better learn how to one, be educated yourself and then be curious yeah. enough to ask questions, to learn enough about, cause think about it. But I was having thousands of conversations with so many different businesses. And every time I picked up the phone, it was somebody else. It was a doctor. It was a balloon twister in Hawaii. It was, you know, it was somebody, it was, it was there was such a diversity in, in that. And I was learning so much about businesses. So yes, education is mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. When I was at Infusionsoft, the reason why I think Infusionsoft was so special at the time, it's now called Keep, was that it had uh, an entrepreneurial spirit they wanted their employees to have, they wanted them to dream. We had a dream, like it literally had a dream coach. We had someone who was dedicated internally that would just be able to work with the employees on their dreams. So for me, I knew that if I had to be educated, (laughs) then the next thing I had to do was be someone who's open-minded and dream big dreams. Mm -hmm. And so Infusionsoft really gave me and opened those doors for me to think about the world being much smaller than it is and that my ideas could actually go way beyond my comfort zone. So I learned that that was huge for me as an entrepreneur. And then a digital marketer, I mean, 
I held so many different positions. I was the head of sales. I was the head of partnerships. I spoke and taught and hosted events. And I was the face of a, of an agency program that, that spanned four continents. Like I learned so much about just the hard work, right? The slog of entrepreneurship, because everybody out there, you're, you're looking at these ivory towers and these private clubs, and you're looking at the people who have made it. All of us, when you're sitting in your entrepreneurial seat, you look for the people that are 10, 10 years ahead of you. And you say, oh, that's, that's what I'm aspiring to be. And it can be crippling and paralyzing. But if you sit there and you, you listen to people who are, will give you the real, where it's not this entrepreneurial sexy thing, that it's actually the day-to-day decision to put your chin down and walk into the wind and make sure that every day you're progressing and it's not easy and it's not a Lamborghini all the time and all these things, it's, it's way more than that. So for me, yeah, education, being able to expand and dream big dreams. And then finally, I think with the last job was that, you know, I'm willing to do the hard work. I learned the hard work day in, day out uh, the, the, that you have to put in to see something be successful. That is so awesome. That is why entrepreneurship is 80 hours of work, guys. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot it's for a sure. Lot. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Marcus, the 5% is created and will be launched soon based yeah. on an existing business problem. Uh, yeah. Could you tell us what the problems are? Because uh, yeah. you mentioned you also experienced it along the way. And how does the 5% come into place? Uh, it was crazy too, because when you said, hey, in a pandemic, you're going to go and and start a business. Well, the, it's crowded, right? There just mm-hmm. are there's hundreds of millions of businesses in the world. And what what's really wild to me is that I tried to figure out, well, if I'm going to go start something, I knew that it had to involve people. I knew that it had to address a problem because there's three parts. There's a market there's a message and then there's media. Those are the three things I've always focused on is saying, okay, what's my market? How am I speaking to my market? And then where are they? So I can make sure my message gets to them. That's like the whole way I've always looked at, at at trying to figure out how to start a company. And so the 5% literally came from a statistic that I used to say from stage all the time, but I never really thought much about it. But the stat is that 95% of businesses fail in the first five years. And it's a crazy statistic because it's widely accepted. It's, it's, it's not very merited because when you look it up, you can't really find where it comes from, but we all believe it. It's actually where the 5% came from. Um, we, you know, I became obsessed with it because I was like, man, you know, why are all these businesses failing? What is it the 5%? Should we be focusing more on what the 5% do? Who are the 5%, right? We started thinking about those things. And what I couldn't couldn't get after being on hundreds and hundreds of phone calls with some of the top founders and CEOs and executives in this country asking them the same question, which was when you left your one thing to go and start the thing you're doing now. And this is some huge companies too, like big, huge companies. I said, what did you want to know? Or what was it that you, you wish you had in those moments of transition? And every single one of them Every single one of them said, I wish I would have spent more time building the foundation of my business. If you look at business failure in our country or around the world, especially now in the pandemic, you see that people, most of them like had a pretty successful company. They went and built a company, but a lot of them actually didn't do the work that to, to what we what we're calling on the 5% side, the dig. And what we're seeing is that it's on shifting sand and then the, obviously, the thing that they built collapses. And so our method, our, our metaphor for everything is, is that we're out there trying to find people that want to build skyscrapers. And the way that you build a skyscraper, which is wild, and people don't know this, I think that we always see like there's a big hole in the ground for a very long time. Yes, and, and people don't see it. 
Yeah. And then overnight you see this huge building just erect and you're like, what happened here? There was nothing. (laughs) And it's the same way with, with entrepreneurship is that the actual majority of the time is 90% of it is under the surface. Mm -hmm. And what people need to understand is that if you want a really tall building, you've got to go down to go up. And I think that what we're talking about, what we want to focus and the problem that we're solving is we want to help people instead of picking up a hammer when you're going to go start your company, we want them to pick up a shovel. We want them to get their hands dirty and start digging to the foundational level that they need so that their business has the chance to be around and stand the test of time. And so for us, that's what we're doing. We're doing that by being an event first company because that's our background. Uh, I moved to London with my entire family, sold our house, moved to London with my new business partners here who owned an event company, one of the biggest ones in the world. They actually put on inbound and hyper growth and all these big conferences that everybody hears about. And now the 5% has these two amazing partners in it who are going to be there because we are starting by doing these amazing events for entrepreneurs. And we have five five pillars in that big process. So we're going to be studying marketing, sales, leadership, finance, and wellness. That is, a, that is what we think people need to go deep in in order before they make the leap in entrepreneurship. And so we do that through uh, hybrid virtual events. We're doing that through big for physical events. And what we realized, honestly, Ann, is that, which is crazy, is that, you know, people have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of content. They have a lot of information. I've actually never met over the last decade an entrepreneur who came to me and said, you know, I would have made it like a failed entrepreneur. I would have made it if I just had more content. It's like, no, that's never the problem. Actually, the problem is, is that they didn't implement the content that they had and they did it alone. So the, so the things we are going to solve for is we want to create actionable practitioner-led education for entrepreneurs, early stage transitional entrepreneurs who get to go deep on the dig. And then the one thing that we know kills most businesses is actually isolation. And so we want to create an incredible community, an incredible online community with a private space for our members to to continue the conversations from our events. And then also, in addition to that, get the support that they need, get the cheering section, because the promise is, is that they are going to fail. Yeah, they are. Entrepreneurs are going to fail over and over again. But our promise is that they never have to do it alone. That's so nice. And you mentioned about having a showbill. Um, not everybody knows that because it's true with the analogy of the skyscraper. When, you, when you're starting the foundation of the skyscraper, that's most of the time covered. They're covering it so you don't see the, the dirty work that's happening. And part right. of uh, having a showbill, it's also dirty work. And that's what, <laughs> that's what people don't know. That's why when you become, uh, let's say if you become famous, uh, you going viral, uh, people mm-hmm. will say, oh, he's so good. But then they didn't know that that's that's 80 hours of work for the last five years. A hundred percent. People always look at it and they think, you know, it's really funny. I, I think most people that look like they were overnight successes have been doing the dig for years. Like when I thought about this, it's like people look at our business right now and they're like, you in one year, put this whole thing together, built out a team, moved to another another country. Yeah. You have this great event that you're about to do. Uh, we have a roadshow kicking off April 29th. And we have a huge event planned in September here in London. And everybody's just like, how did like, that feel so overnight? That's so quick. No, no, no. It was a decade of digging. It was working within companies. And it was 
building out my network and building um, consistency in my content and building a personal brand and working to surround myself with incredible people, getting mentors in different areas of my life and surrounding myself and my team with my, you know, things that I'm weak at. That was, that was what I was doing over the last 10 years. And it just feels like that, that skyscraper analogy where it's like, oh, it looks like it just went up overnight. Well, no, we've been digging for almost 10 years. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Marcus, as someone who has mastered sales and partnerships, how can a business owner improve these on their company? And as a follow-up question to that, should should sales and partnerships be delegated to someone? Oh, that's so good. If you're an entrepreneur in your business, you are responsible for sales and partnerships. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people want to complicate sales or they stay away from it because Uh it has a stigma and reputation. It's not great. Honestly, if you think about it, when's the last time you picked up a phone call that you didn't know? It's because you didn't because people were trying to sell you something. I mean, look at my LinkedIn inbox. It is just a catastrophe and it's just bad. It's really, really bad sales outreach. But I'll tell you, sales is a lot more than that. If anything, at the bare minimum, you're selling yourself. And so I think that as an entrepreneur in your business, you should be thinking about ways to address your market. Like when you start thinking about that way, when you're starting to think there and say, well, here's our perfect avatar for our business, like the absolute person that we would want to buy our product or people we want to to take advantage of our services. And then what's selling, which people don't really equate to, is defining a message that gets your ideal avatar to stop in their tracks and raise their hand and say, that's me. You will never have a problem selling your product or service if you spend enough time identifying who that right person is and then dialing in your message so that these people, when they see it, when they hear it, when they see an ad, when they do any of those things, when you're when you're trying to get their attention, that they resonate so much with the message that they take action. And that action typically is followed by value, which then turns into an offer on your part, which is your product or service. And people will then buy and become a customer. Well, I actually think that sales and partnerships go hand in hand. Selling is knowing that. Mm -hmm. Selling is also building your personal brand. It's also networking with people. It's learning how to start really great conversations. That's a huge part of selling as an entrepreneur. And just also playing around with that, you know, like, I think people are always trying to come up and show up like this and say, hi, my name is Marcus. Let's go buy something, right? Like, you know, hi, my name is Marcus. Buy my stuff. It's like, that's the, that's the general flow of sales Everywhere. (laughs) everywhere. But if people just understood that just like, I mean, if they understood that human beings are actually more inclined to listen to what you're going to say, if you start a conversation, instead of just trying to push your product or service on them, then you understand that it takes a little bit of time. It's just that nobody wants to take that time. Like most entrepreneurs and business owners and salespeople and everybody who's trying to sell, just trying to expedite the process. They're trying to find the fastest route from point A to point B, and they just need to hit a quota or make some money. And I get that feeling. I know that desperate feeling, but I think that people will do better if they just focused in on how many conversations they can start with the right people. So that's, that's the one part. On the partnership side, that's when you expedite all of that. Expediting means that if you have a good sales process that I just mentioned, and it's getting people to stop in their tracks, and you know your people, you know your market, and they are buying from you, then you can take that exact um, formula and go look for other people that have the exact same market as you. That's what really worked for us. That's what made me the head of partnerships is I kept looking for other pockets and members and communities with the exact same avatar that we were looking for, that we had already identified and created a sales process for. And now I can go to those companies and say, hey, look, 
we have your exact customer and you have our exact customer. So there's probably a way that we can can essentially uh, exercise reciprocity and start to build a partnership because it looks like we want to attract the same people. So that looks like a really good way to be able to share with your community and your community to share with ours, which adds a lot of value. And we can start to see a lot more of our customers, you know, moving back and forth. And I think that was where it all kind of started. And, And if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner out there, you should always be thinking of people strategic alliances, partnerships with other people. Because, you know, the real test is if you actually have a big enough goal or a big enough thing that you're trying to go build, you're going to need other people to get there. It's just it's yeah. just the way it goes. And especially yeah. people that have the exact avatar, the exact customer that's already within their community. So essentially, you're not hijacking their, their community. You're just adding enough value that it makes sense that they'll put you in front of it. In line with that, Marcos, so what, when does marketing and sales start and end? Or is there even a line between the two? Oh, my goodness. Such a good question. It's, it's, it's so hard, right? I, I've been around the best marketers on the planet, and I've also spent a lot of time in sales, and specifically like traditional sales roles, sales leadership roles. I think there's a very blurred line. You know, because a lot of people, a lot of people that call themselves marketers are actually some of the best salespeople on the planet. I always think it's like marketers are just introverted salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> and I only reason why I say that is it's, you know, the best, and that's so funny to say, because it's actually a cop out because some of the best salespeople I've ever met in my life are all introverted. They're all very much like that. You would never know, but they're incredible on the phone and meticulous. They've, they're very logical. They bring logical problem solving to emotional problems. Like it's, it's a really interesting interesting thing. But I would say that when you're looking across the full funnel, when you're looking across like, hey, somebody needs to be aware of us, you have to get their attention all the way to they're our customer now, and we are nurturing them and helping them expand in in their business and in our products or services. I think that that journey is holistically holistically sales and marketing. I think it it actually ends up being something bigger because the conversation, the sales conversation should be the same from the moment that someone meets you all the way through to how you treat them when they are part of your family. And I think that that's really interesting because sales and marketing is not a, not the label I would put on that. I I would really, I would really say that there's a holistic way to look at the fact that sales and marketing in many cases are the same. They just are. And a lot of times what you're looking at is that most people treat them so differently, which is what keeps them rubbing together and keeps them so separated, or there's friction between sales and marketing, mostly because they are seen as two separate teams, when in reality, they should actually be one team. I'm going to say that definitively, people are going to disagree with me all over the place. If you want to align sales and marketing, put them on one team and give them one leader right? You need a a head of growth or a head of revenue Mm -hmm. and marketing and sales needs to fall under that. And those teams need to be more integrated because they are sharing one commonality that's so important between the two. And that is the customer journey from a prospect who knows has never heard of your business all the way through to someone who purchases that customer's life cycle, that, that, that journey that they're on is only touched by these two teams. And so if you make it one team, then you'll start to see that, man, I'm not sure that we need to separate it. I really, I'm really not convinced. I'm going to go kind of personal here for a bit, Marcus. You said okay. in on your Good Morning America interview last year that mm-hmm. uh, you want to take your girls on your journey uh, on this mm-hmm. uh, 5% journey because you will always be a hard worker, 
but never again at their expense. Every entrepreneur knows that as you create a business or a company, part of the hard work, that, which you mentioned a while ago, is putting in a lot of time. So mm-hmm. how has been the journey for you and the family? You know, I will never leave my family behind with such a great mentality. That was something because I mean, at the time, at the time I, I had a great career. Yeah. I was doing my dream job and I loved it so much, probably too much, honestly. And, um, and I looked up one day and I, I'd missed most of the girls. You know, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I'm very open about that. If you, if anybody follows me on LinkedIn, they see the, the girls all the time. But I think that it's interesting because I was missing the majority of their life, time that I certainly couldn't get back. And if you think about it, we only had 18 of those years with them. And, uh, you know, I was, I was missing, missing some very crucial ones and also just working myself out of a good marriage and, you know, all those things that every entrepreneur can probably relate with just, just that imbalance. I think that's what I would like to call it. And yeah, since, since leaving, I mean, think about it. I had to convince, I had to sell my wife (laughs) before I could sell anybody else (laughs) on the idea of the 5%. And what was really crazy is the biggest affirmation I got is that she was she was in, she was in from the beginning. We sold the house. We sold everything we own to come here to London, move our girls across the world, leave all of our friends, like start new schools. I mean, all that was and my new, and, and basically a new culture. Although I know you, you studied in, in London for a time, but yep. yeah. it's 360 degrees of culture change. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that you know, if it's an English speaking place that it's just going to be <laughs> the same or something, I have no idea. Uh, but cult- culturally, we fit in really well. Culturally, I love that the girls are at an international school. And I love that they walk down the street and hear 12 different languages every day on the way to the bus, you know, or wow. the way to our, our bike. You know, I think that those are really important. It's the reason why I fell in love with London in the first place, outside of really good pubs that they have here. I really loved the people. I loved the transient lifestyle of, you know, just how many people, different people from different backgrounds and diversity that you're going to meet. And so, yeah, I knew that open, I'm opening a world to my family for sure, but it was not easy. It was not an easy transition to become an entrepreneur and put them on this journey. There's plenty of times where we felt displaced, where we felt, you know, frustrated, where we, where the girls, you know, were having a hard time acclimating to time changes and flights all the time. So I would say it's not necessarily all roses, but I know it will be. And we're starting to we're starting to come out of that, and we're starting to see the benefit. We're starting to see the girls that are doing so well at school and love their rhythms every day. I do. I, I have a studio now in my home, which yeah. was, which is, which is new. I have an office too, but <laughs> I created this really great studio because yesterday, just for example, I was filming something for, I don't know what, and my girls kept bombarding in the room and, you know, I could seriously get really upset. We were 13 minutes into filming something and we had to do it all over again. But here's the thing. I'm not going to get upset anymore at that. Like my girls need to be here. They need to sit over there. They need dad to stop everything that I'm doing and just focus on them because they want to be heard and be seen. And uh, I know a lot of people might disagree with that, but you know what? I can retake that shot a million yeah. times. Like I'm yeah. a pro. I could do it all all day. I'm never going to stop my girls from in- interrupting me or whatever I'm doing. They just need to know that they're more important than that. And so, yeah, I do this to support them and I get the to be able to like really serve other people and help. Um, but nothing, nothing is going to be more important than my family. It's true. Uh, let me just add, because um, recently, March 19, it, it, uh, it's, Saint, it's the feast day of St. Joseph, which, who was, who's the, who's yep, yep. Virgin Mary's wife. And yep. 
he's always of course he's always looked at as someone as you know he's 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 a provider because yeah. he along maybe along the way he of course he provided for the family i read uh an insight from a reflect from a daily reflection that i'm that i'm that i am reading every time i do my prayers and he said that as uh as a father I understand where Joseph is coming from. But mm-hmm. the part that we always understand as the provider, the father as the provider, it's just one part of loving your children. And we are, I think we are all wired. Every, every, Everyone in the world is wired that, oh, we should provide. We should always provide for our children. This is the number one priority. But then uh, on that reflection, I read, Providing is just one part of. It's just a subset of loving. I'm happy yeah. that you are. I'm happy that you are in that path, going that path already, and you're enjoying. You're enjoying like you know. Okay, you're, the kids are there. It's okay. I can always take that shot, but I won't miss. I won't miss anything anymore on on your on my children. No, you know that's a really good. By the way, Joseph. Such an underrated character in the Bible. Um, Maybe because he's so silent. <laughs> I know, right? Right. It feels that way. But it's interesting because if you think about him being, you know, Jesus before he was ever in his ministry was a carpenter, just like Joseph, and yeah. was working with his hands. And you know, Joseph probably spent the most time with Jesus on on earth, if you think about it, because his yeah. mission, his his ministry was only you know a flash in the pan before he was crucified. And I think what's really cr- crazy about that is that you can learn a lot from these characters, not, not just the Bible, but in general, these, these parental figures uh, in, in a lot of different stories. And I think that it's so interesting to think about, you know, like for me, I, I don't want, I want to show my girls, like I want to, I want to show my children mm-hmm. an example of dad loving them. And that means that I have to stop what I'm doing and I need to get down on their level. And sometimes that means to physically get down there and talk to them when they don't want to listen or that they're really just kind of like acting up or doing things because they want attention from me. And so I'm just giving them the things that I think a lot of these parental figures that you're talking about, these examples um, are giving them, giving to their children, which is time. And I think that that's, that's something that I would just love to make sure that at the, you know, when they're old and I'm gray, and they're older and that they say, you know, d- dad, we, we really spent a lot of time together. And uh, yeah. I think that would be really, really great. Yeah. Speaking of carpentry, because <laughs> you're the only guy, I was really surprised because in my LinkedIn newsfeed, you're the only guy who's really <laughs> posting about uh, his children and building a home for them. So I'd like to know <laughs> if the, if the, if Florence and Pearl's house is still in good shape since you oh my gosh. Texas to lunch. <laughs> no, do you know what? We were so, uh, so just so the backstory there is my girls asked me for a playhouse for a long time. Yeah. Yes. And, and I would jump on another plane and I would leave really early in the morning and I would go to the office. It was always like a later thing. And so when I left the job and I decided, I decided that I was going to build them the best, the best playhouse that anyone has ever seen. And I did that. I feel like, you know, it's funny. I didn't know it was going to get the response it did before it went viral, but yeah, I built this, this playhouse. They loved it. And we are so fortunate. The people who bought our home in Austin, Texas are wonderful. Like they were from California. We became friends with them. They're kids. They've got two little boys and they play in it all the time. They send us pictures of it. So it's in good shape and it's still being used just like the girls used it. But yeah, I, uh, I think that that was such a, a crucial time. You know, many times we're, we're never using our hands to do anything, right? Like we never yeah. really build. A lot of us are sitting here behind our camera, 
you know, are behind this keyboard and making our money that way. And I think that it was such a good disruptive thing for me to just go sweat and build something. I, I think I would highly recommend that for people <laughs> who are looking. No, it's 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 um, it's sometimes it's so stressful, but it's so relaxing too because there's something physical when you're done. It's not yeah. going to go disappear. It's not going to run away. It's not going to, you know, like there's no uh, outdated technology with it. Like you have to go put a hammer and nails together and put wood together. And there's something very physical and spiritual about that. That's so cool. So it means the house was left there in Texas. But of course, yes. you'll have more time to create a new one, right? Some, yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. I'm not making those promises yet, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna ask you questions on LinkedIn at this okay. point because you know yeah. that will be so weird if not. I'm not gonna ask that. Yeah, yeah um, no problem. So, as a LinkedIn board member, a uh, LinkedIn mm-hmm. advisory, um, you must have seen different ways that people have used LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. So, what are the maybe let's let's go for top five LinkedIn features that LinkedIn users <laughs> just don't know. If you promise to stay tuned to the second part of Marcus's interview, you'll find out more about how you should use LinkedIn as a powerful platform for you and your business. Almighty Father, thank you for the business you have enabled me to begin and sustain. Enlighten my way in leading and inspiring people engaged in the business organizations, industry, and communities that I serve. Allow us the mastery of your will for the role you would want this business to play in your divine plan. Provide us all the resources, human and material, for this enterprise. Sustain us financially for growth and development and keep us humble with our successes and innovative and creative in our endeavors. Help us in our crises and guide us in every step we take as we run and manage our business. Let our business involvements be models of inspired integrity and allow it to bring good health, wealth, and prosperity among your people. Bless our business partners, clients, and suppliers. Give us the faith and confidence that we can accomplish even what seems to be impossible. Move us to dispense all our actions to be full of love for you and the rest of mankind. In Jesus' name, Amen. Creating a podcast show is a challenge. Good thing I have the best ally. Thanks to ValuePod Productions, headed by two amazing ladies, Sam Mercado and Eloy Almolicido, for helping me create my shows easily. Have you been dreaming of launching your own podcast, but don't know how and where to start? Let ValuePod Productions Podcast Editing and Management Services help you effortlessly launch, syndicate, and grow your podcast. Message us at facebook.com slash valuepodproductions. ValuePod Productions Podcast Editing and Management Services. Humanizing personal connections through podcasting. That's a wrap for this week's Pin to Top. Tell us what you think about the show. Send in your rating and comments on your favorite podcast platform now. For questions and suggestions, email pintotop at annchristine.com. 
That's P-I-N-T-O-T-O-P at annchristine.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day!